And then we need to look around and see like, well, who's not here? Who's missing? Whose voice isn't at the table? In this episode of the Different is Good podcast, I have a conversation with one of my longtime dear friends, Lorena Toller. Originally from the Bay Area, California, Lorena started her career with Teach for America, which transported her to Arkansas. She is now an education coach where she coaches novice teachers through a program called Arkansas Teachers Corps. Lorena was born into a diverse family, and in this conversation, she tells me about how she brought the celebration of diversity to her students in the classroom and how it all stemmed from a strong, loving, and diverse household from boba to family, and how we can take action now to implement change and diversity, this conversation goes wide and deep. In the end, you will hear Lorena give us lots of resources for all ages, which I have listed all of them in the show notes for your enjoyment. So sit back, relax, and jump into this conversation with the undeniable, amazing Lorena Toller. Okay. Hi guys, um, welcome back to episode two of the Different is Good podcast. I am here with one of my nearest, dearest friends, family members, uh, Miss Lorena Toller. Hi. Hello. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. How are you? Thank, I'm fabulous. Thank you for being here today and thank you for coming on. Um, first, I just want to start off like we always do and tell me a little bit more about yourself. Okay, so I'm a Bay native, born and raised. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, I think the most interesting way to describe my story now is that I moved to Arkansas in 2013 to start a teaching career. Um, with Teach for America and I just stayed here ever since. Um, and so I'm now I'm in the education sector. I've taught for five years and now I'm coaching um, different novice teachers across the state in our program called Arkansas Teacher Corps. Um, so I'm just learning a lot, observing a lot, seeing how powerful education is. Um, and yeah, that's kind of where I'm, where I'm at right now. I love that. Um, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on too is because it's so, you know, being a teacher is so unique and being a teacher in this day and age is so unique and having to bring that equity into the classroom and talk about differences and diversity. I think that that's where, you know, conversations start at home, but then how can we continue them at school too? So my question to you would be is how do you even start to approach differences and diversity in the classroom? Like what, what would you do specifically as a teacher um, when, you were, when you were in the classroom with the kids and approaching differences and diversities? Because especially where you were in Arkansas, uh, we were talking about this earlier, is that there, it was all one race. Like you had one white kid in the class and the rest were black or, you know, it could be vice versa too, but how do you even approach that in the classroom? Yeah. Um... I think this is a really great question because it changes from time to time. I think the overall, um, so when I first started teaching, I was in a town that was a lot less diverse than the Bay Area, to mm. put simply. And so my demographic of kids, I had like half of them were white and half of them were black. And so teaching about social justice issues were, was a lot more controversial for some reason. 
Yeah. Um, and then I moved to a town where 98% of my kids were black. And so teaching about certain topics was less, uh, was met with less tension. Uh, but my short answer to that would be finding ways to really see our kids, like every single kid. So that could be like for my class, we used to do um, like handshakes, like mm-hmm. every kid could make up a secret handshake. Yeah before they walk into my classroom. It could be 10 minutes long. Well, we made them pretty quick, but, um, and some kids just did a simple tap or like, I don't wanna, I don't wanna do any handshake today, but it was my moment to check in with kids and look them in the eye and say like, how are you doing today? You know, or feel special. Right. Um, like, I remember our handshake when you walk up. Like right. that, I have to remember 60 different handshakes than yours, I remember. It's just like a small thing. Yeah. Um, we also had, I think, having diverse stories in your classroom. So there are two things that come to mind for me. I had something called um, the Wall of Inspiration, which basically we started at the portables that I, when we taught in portables, I asked my principal if I could paint the wall because it was just like a small classroom and there was like one window and I just felt like, it would be cool if we made it like funky in here. And she said, yes. And so that very next day I painted the wall just in case she changed her mind. I painted it chalkboard black. And then it said wall of inspiration. And I put up like quotes and things that I liked. And then I left open space for kids to bring in something. So like if there was a quote or something meaningful they wanted to add to the wall, that was their way of making us making space for them. So like I had, yeah, one student took a picture with photography and then um, it was a picture of another student who was rapping and they, he had like a, an excerpt on it and we put that on the wall. So like just small ways of seeing kids that aren't like major, you know, they're not, they're not super hard to do. They're just ways of seeing our kids. Yeah. So, um, and I also think about yeah, the types of book selections we have in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean just like, I think right now the conversation is white and black. Right. And for me, the question is like, what's missing? Who's not here? Yeah. And a lot of times that is black voices, that is female voices, that is LGBTQIA voices, that is indigenous. I think indigenous peoples are really left out of our curriculum and out of our books. And so... Yeah. Um, that's Asian. That's, that's, there's so many people who are left out. Right. And so I think as particularly here in the South where there isn't as much representation of different cultures, it's like even more vital that we show that through our classroom. Yeah. And yeah. I know that like in the history books, it's pretty much the same, like you were talking about, it's just black and white. And so bringing those other stories in and representations of different um, ethnicities and races. It, like you said, it's super important. How do you, what are some stories that you have brought into the classroom um, or different events that you have bought, brought into the classroom that have been able to showcase those stories? And how do you, how do you, how do you preface it for your kids? Like, do you let them know that this is, you know, we're going to be talking about this or do you just show up and say, guess what? Today we're talking about, um, you know, Asian people or what, you know, whatever it may be. Well, there's a lot of planning that I like to put into it. Mm -hmm. So 
but I also think that there's, there has to be ways that you're flexible with your kids. Like, so if they're asking for more of their history, mm. find ways to include that, you know? Mm. Um, so, um, I had, there was a couple years ago, I think three years ago now, I had one Asian student and he's Chinese American and he was the only Asian student in the entire high school. And we were talking during study hall one day and he was like, man, like, uh, we're talking about boba. And, and we, and I just went back and forth with him and he was like, you know what that is? Are there any boba places in Arkansas? I mean, there are a little rock for sure. There are, but not in these smaller towns, you know? Right, right. Um, so he mentioned that. And then we had, uh, he was talking about Lunar New Year's and he's like, I've never, we've never celebrated my culture in school. And I was like, what? Yeah. Um, and I was teaching African-American history at the time. So it was like, how do we find a way to work this in? Mm. Which is, um, which is easy. Yeah. Um, so we found ways to build in Chinese immigrant stories into the curriculum that are very necessary and need to be in included anyway. Yeah. Um, and then we also planned, he helped plan a, a Chinese New Year celebration for the entire school. So like within a week span, we got all of these like decorations to put up around the building. My mom made this huge sign that said like, happy Lunar New Year in red silk and we hung it. And then we had like kids volunteer and stay like three or four hours after school and help set up. And his family, his aunt and uncle owned a Chinese restaurant in town and he was able to get them to like donate food. And, wow. and then so for morning meeting or during um, homeroom, in the morning for that week, we had like little lessons every, every day. Yeah. And he was able to like make little envelopes and teach them about his culture. Yeah. And I think that that made him spe feel special um, and seen. Yeah. So I love that. It, that yeah. gives me goosebumps just hearing that story. Cause it's, it, that, I mean, that was a big way to say, I see you, I recognize you. Um, and, you know, one of the missions with this podcast is that we are teaching parents, families, kids, how to acknowledge those differences. And when we don't know much about that difference, finding out more, learning about it. Um, and just by him being able to teach, you know, his peers about what is so special to him. Oh my gosh, that, I've, and if anything, he probably felt like he was or I shouldn't speak for him did he give you any feedback or tell you anything about I mean I think just his smile yeah. that week he was walking differently he was carrying himself differently because people were like oh you did this like you planned this tell me about your culture it's a cool thing mm. um and we even had people at the middle school like man why didn't you make this at the middle school we have an Asian kid at the middle school too and so just this idea of like how do we carry on this legacy and make sure that our classmates feel seen and heard Right. Um, and then later that year, I planned something because I always had this vision of like, how could we make social justice fun? Like, mm -hmm. and how do we make multicultural learning just the norm and something you look forward to? Like there's food, there's, there's so many elements of culture that we could be celebrating. Yeah. And so we planned their semester exam i had ninth graders that i was teaching civics and english too and then i had 11th graders that i was te teaching african-american history too and so their final project was to find a social justice issue that it could be anything 
and find, and then they had all of these components where basically they were making a lesson plan that they had to present to the community on a board and they had to have like an interactive piece so they could present, but then they had to have like a game or something for the, uh, the people who were at the event. Mm -hmm. They could have food. Um, we had some kids do like online text. They had to like vote on their phones the correct answer. Yeah. Um, we had some kids talk about suicide. Kids mm -hmm. talk about colorism. Kids talk about immigration. Um, there were like so many different topics they got to choose from. And they had to dig into the history of that issue. And then they were responsible for presenting it to the community. So we had this big event and we had like a cakewalk. We had like um, healthy food. So we had like our version of acai berry bowls, which was just like, we bought a bunch of frozen goods and like blended them up and put fresh toppings on top, like to teach the community different ways of eating. And um, yeah, there were just, a, and then people got to vote at the end, vote for their favorite um, table. So that's probably my biggest highlight of like the thing that I, stand behind and felt like that was that was something because i think those families walked away and the kids walked away feeling like i chose what i want to care like what i wanted to talk about i did the work of exploring it and i did the work of presenting it to the community and then they could follow up with them later but um yeah This podcast is brought to you by The Diversity Box, the first monthly subscription box helping families start and navigate the conversation of why different is good. Each box comes with two family activities to ignite impactful conversation, one craft to solidify what was just learned, and resources to keep the conversation going. Subscribe today at www.thediversitybox.net and enter code GOODPODCAST, G-O-O-D, P-O-D-C-A-S-T to get $5 off your first box. Now, back to the episode. So how do you think we can bring that into a home? Like, how can we take that same celebration and bring that into a home? Like, where, where would we start? It's a heavy question. It's a big question. Yeah. I can only speak to, since I'm not a parent yet, right. I can only speak to what worked for me and the way that I brought that to other students. Yeah. So I think in the household growing up, it's like having different stories. Like language, I think, is the entryway. Right. Like the way we talk about people and the, re the books we read and the stories we digest. Yeah. You know, so like, um, I actually pulled these books over here. So I pulled this book amazing grace yes. this is like one of my top five still I had of that. all time yeah and this book um basically i don't want to give away the ending but the main character finds ways to use her identity to help her achieve a goal rather than be torn down the way that her classmates had made her feel right. um but yeah that book meant a lot to me and like her I just loved everything about it. And I remember turning to a page and being like, telling my mom, like I wanted my hair to look exactly like Grace's hair for first communion. I was like, can you do this? <laughs> <laughs> I love so that. So she made it happen. Yeah, which brings me to my next question. Tell me a little bit about how it was growing up in your household, because you have a diverse household and a diverse 
a very diverse family and a very diverse household. So what was it like growing up in a family like that? Yeah, so my mom is Filipino and Irish. My dad is Black and Native American. Mm -hmm. um, and there's five of us, five kids. So I'm the youngest of five. And we all look hella different. So like, <laughs> I, like we all look alike, but we kind of look like different ethnicities. Right. Um, so yeah, we belong to each other, but like we have different experiences in the world because I think we are perceived differently by the way people look at our features. Mm. So like my oldest sibling, she almost looks Puerto Rican. She's super fair skin, yeah. um, big curly hair. And like, yeah, sometimes I get like, um, I get a little bit of everything. But so yeah, some of us look more black than the others. And like, right, right. it's just, uh, we've all had different experiences, but I think. Um, what hmm. did mom and dad do? that you can remember specifically besides like stories or, um, I mean, what, what did they do to expose you to different um, diversity? Like just what did they do to, yeah, to expose you to differences? Yeah, I think how did they, how did they, what language did they use around the house and how they talked about people, which is what we were talking about that influenced you and influenced your decisions to, you know, take the path that you took. Yeah. Well, I think the, one of the things that comes to mind is them being transparent about some of the struggles that they faced when they, as an interracial couple. Yeah. And that I didn't find out till later, but like, you know, growing up in the Bay even. Yeah. With a black man and a Filipino woman. Yeah. Um, was scary. Like, yeah. that wasn't easy. Right. Um, and so, yeah, my, I have stories of like my dad sharing that like there were times, and I hope this is okay that I share this, but um, there were times where <laughs> growing up, he was a, he, or in college, he would like, he was holding my mom's hand somewhere and he dropped it when like certain people walked by because he felt insecure about that relationship and the pressures of who you're supposed to date. Right. right. And so my mom grew up in Stockton, California, where she grew up around a lot more black people. Yeah. I mean, obviously my dad grew up around black people, but yeah. she grew up around a lot more black people than an average non-black person. Um, and so I think that might have been, I don't, I'm not sure if that was easier for her or her, but they shared some of those struggles, but then they also just share their love. Like, man, they, they set an example, you they, know? Yeah. And just being accepting of people and, and literally like, it's hard for me to think of an example because I think that I don't remember them saying like derogatory things about other groups of people. It was just like, it wasn't a big conversation. It was yeah. just the norm, you know, yeah. like you, you vibe with somebody, you connect with somebody, become friends with them. Right. Um, right. And I also sharing the challenge. Yeah. And I think too, I remember growing up and coming over to your house as a kid, it was just like, it, it was a feeling that you got when you walked in the house. Like it was just, Aww. there was just love. You know, you knew that already. I mean, you mm -hmm. can tell the fact that you guys still send out Christmas cards with, ma with making sure that everybody is included, even as you're multiplying <laughs> and the family's getting bigger and bigger. And I don't know how much your stairs, how much more room you guys are going to have on your <laughs> 
the pictures, but just the fact that, you know, your mom and dad make it a point to make sure everybody is included, um, regardless of who they are, where they come from is a big deal too. Yeah. Family dinners was huge because my dad can cook. He can throw down. Yeah. So Sunday dinners, like just having friends over, friends could look any, like anything. And I think my siblings, set the tone by like just inviting who their friends were and it happened to be diverse people. So it wasn't right. like, it didn't seem weird. And right. I'm really lucky to have that. Yeah, absolutely. How did you, how did you transition when you moved to Arkansas coming from such a diverse place and household to some places that like we, like you said in the beginning, they're still segregated. Yeah. Um, it took a while yeah. because, I mean, it is, I think being multi-ethnic, it, part of the superpower is that you can be like a chameleon. You can belong to a lot of different places, right. but you can also feel isolated because you never have like one space that fully captures who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's never like a black and Filipino group, right. usually, you know, or like yeah. black and Filipino and Irish and Native American. And even if there were, they would probably be such such different experiences. Um, so for me, yeah, moving here, I felt like a unicorn for a while because people would be like, what are you? They would mm-hmm. like, ask me that all the time because I wasn't from the town, one, so they can spot out somebody who's new yeah. real quick. And then I just had a different look than most people. Right? You, like I, my kids would be like, you're Mexican? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um, it took a while to adjust. But that's part of like, I don't know, just owning. Because I, I think it, when you grow up in the Bay Area, you see so many different people. Right. And there are so many people that people don't give you, the, like, they're not going to notice if you walk into the store that day. Yeah. But here, like, I remember my, after my third year teaching in Stuttgart, Arkansas, I was like, man, I feel like a local. Like, I feel like they know me now. Mm-hmm. And... <laughs> And then I was waiting in line at the post office, literally didn't say a word. And some man came up and was like, where are you from? You're not from here. To tell. Mm. I was like, is it the clothes I'm wearing? Like, <laughs> how do you know? <laughs> um, but yeah, I, to answer your question, that's a little bit of a tangent, but to answer your question, um, I think just like digging deeper into who I am, because there's mm. nothing like a South or a mirror that is different that'll make you really look at your identity differently. So I was like, wow, what, is it, what does it mean to be multicultural here right. where that's not the norm? Like I grew up around so many mixed people. Yeah. Like here there's a lot of questions. So like that comes with responsibility and that also comes with some difficulty. So staying in touch with like, it took me a while to realize I need to keep calling home and like be reminded of who I am in a setting that's not reminded. Like people don't know me yet here. I don't have a home group here yet, you know? So, and building that, like staying connected to home while like building my relationships in Arkansas. Yeah. Clutch. Well, Arkansas is very lucky to have you. Thank you. So one of my other questions would be, how do we, you know, it, for someone who's listening to this, whether they're a parent, not a parent, educator, um, so on and so forth, how do we begin to take action into implementing some of the things that we talked about today, like celebrating those differences, celebrating diversity? How do we, how, what do we do? How do we begin to take action? 
think my simplest answers to that is my simplest answer to that is twofold. I'm thinking about one, maybe it's threefold. Um, I'm thinking about affirming the kids that we raise and their identities. Yeah. So for some families, that's a lot easier than others. Obviously, if you're raising a white child, you have more representation and more resources readily available. Um, and if you're ch raising a child of color, um, a black child, a mixed child, anywhere in between, um, I think that there's a responsibility to find representation and show them images that show the joy. Like, I think often when we think about black history, people think about slavery and trauma. Right. And there's so much joy you have to balance. Like, the reason why we care so much is because there's so much joy that's not represented. So um, I think especially with like, you know, I think about hair and I think about appearances when I think about raising kids yeah. and what's the messaging that they're receiving from the world. So just being aware of like, what's the narrative that's around in the world and how is that probably shaping my child and how can I reinforce like positive view of themselves? Yeah. Especially if they're going to like a predominantly white school and they have big curly hair, mm -hmm. how can I make sure that they're, um, they feel good about themselves. Or if I'm, I have one white kid in a, in a room full of black kids, how can I make sure they still feel good about themselves? Yeah. Um, so I would start, that's one thing I think we need to like affirm our kids and who they are. And then we need to look around and see like, well, who's not here? Who's missing? Whose mm -hmm. voice isn't at the table? Yeah. Um, and just constantly asking questions, who wrote this story? So mm -hmm. when I was teaching history, it was like, why are we we're pulling from this textbook that's leaving out a whole lot of stuff? There's only a paragraph on like indigenous people. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so I think asking like who's missing here and being inquisitive and teaching your kids the skills to be inquisitive of like whose voice isn't here? Right. How does it feel for you when your voice isn't there? Um, I love that. And, then, and keeping that question a current theme in houses like whose voice is not at the table? Yeah. And do we need to be at this table? Should we build our own? Right. Um, and then I think just like continuously learning. Like I, I still have a ton of ton to learn. Yeah. And I think even if you grew up, um, like if you grew up black in America, there are things that you know from experience, and then there's stuff that you still have internalized. That there's internalized racism, and there's also plenty of stuff that was missing out of our textbooks that we had to teach ourselves. And so some are, some are further along than others, but I mean, I'll keep learning, I guess would be my third thing. I love that. Yeah. I love that. That, it, that's beautiful. And I think you couldn't have said it better. That's, you know, making sure that we show representation. We ask who's at, whose voices are not at the table and if they, you know, are we going to be here at this table or do we need to build our own table? And then making sure that you keep learning because it's a never ending process where there's always going to be something new to learn. And with this day and age, there's no excuse and no way you can't learn because everything is at your fingertips. Yes. Everything. Yeah, and I do wanna say, well, so I've been doing some race and equity sessions and yeah. I do feel like a, an obligation to say this, which is, it can be misunderstood as like a burden, but um, 
I think that I, my fear is that organizations are going to now start saying, oh, okay, race and equity is trending and we need to get on this ship. We need to get on this anti-racism ship, which is like, I'm for going with the times. Right. But um, I imagine that like, we'll start saying, okay, the few black people, the few people of color on staff, now your responsibility is to run these workshops. And so I just really caution people to think about um, inviting people to that role and hiring people whose job that is. Because my fear is that it's now going to become a burden for people of color beyond their, their hired job to like teach people. Right. So I just like encourage people to like, don't come with nothing to the table and expect people to teach you. That's really hard and it's a hard time. So like come with something and if you're real close with somebody, ask them questions, but think like consider the experience that black people in particular are dealing with right now and you know, be considerate. We just had a talk. I'm glad that you said that because it makes me think of this statement that I just heard. We just had a talk with my daughter's school with parents of how to start this conversation at home. And the woman who we had come and talk to us is a diversity and inclusion, you know, she's been doing it for over 15, 20 years. Um, but she said, no one is your personal cultural guru. So you, you know, that learning aspect that you talked about, how you should continuously be learning is a task that we all have to abide by. And regardless if you think that you've had every experience or no experience or read every book or haven't read any book, there's still a portion for you to learn. So yeah. I think that I'm glad that you brought that up because that, that is, that's the reason why it's so important to keep learning and to yeah, keep. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, sorry to cut you off. No, you're fine. No, I think that to keep learning, it takes courage too. We don't think about that. Like it takes courage to know that you might learn something new and you might've been wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or it makes but you, you really care. Yeah. 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 Or the the uncomfortability factor too, right? Because I know there's been some movies and some shows we've been watching, and I didn't watch them for a long time because I knew I said, nope, I can't watch it. It just yeah. it infuriates me, or I don't feel like crying, or I don't, you know, I you know that it's going on, but when we say nope, can't do that, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to deal with that. That's when it gets pushed under the rug, and that's when we keep repeating the cycles that we're in. So. You know, one thing that I keep saying too is that I feel honored to be part of this revolution. I feel honored to be fighting right now because from the looks of it, from, you know, our, from when our parents were fighting for this and our grandparents were fighting for this, it looks really different. Um, it feels really different and conversations are starting. And that's the whole idea behind this podcast as well too, is that the conversation starts. And that we can have those conversations and that we can get uncomfortable because that's where the change comes from. And having those conversations and talking, you know, and learning something new, like, oh, I need to go learn about that now. Or thank you for telling me about that. And like you said, it's okay to ask people, you know, but don't, don't put that burden on them of being your personal cultural guru. Right. You Should know, be your job are, first and foremost. Right. Yeah. And don't come to me if you don't know the basics because that's not my job yeah you know, it's, it's a courtesy it's a it's it's a yeah i don't know i think that there are plenty of resources out there 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, you can always, I think it's okay to, to, um, ask someone where to start. Like, you know, I don't know about this, but can you give me a little background and then, you know, then maybe like, where can I start? That mm -hmm. is not as much of a burden as like, tell me everything, you know, and, you know, share every experience you've ever had and just sitting there enamored and asking question after question, just like, Hey, I didn't know much about this, but can you tell me more? And then where can, how do I keep learning about it? Yeah, and I think right now too, in a time of anti-blackness, mm. is a time for white people to learn about whiteness. Yeah, yeah. And like in in its non-glorified forms, like the you know white supremacy is a tool that black people aren't creating. It you know so I think that that requires that, um, yeah, that people in power look at the systems and figure out what's happening too. We can learn from stories, but we should also learn about like the history of the pain and the, like how this started. Yeah, I love that. I love that. So what are some resources now that we're talking about learning? What are some resources that we can use to keep this conversation going? Um, okay, so I have a few. Okay. This book I love. Yes, amazing. I pulled a bunch of stuff. I don't know if we have time for all this. Yeah, but... Huh. Go ahead, lay it on me. Okay, um, some websites that I think that are really great for educators in particular, um, like the Zen Ed Project. It's called zenedproject.org. Okay. It's a Howard Zen resource, which is basically um, an approach to learning history from a people's perspective. Mm. So a lot of times we hear history from like the victor's perspective or like the, 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 the nice glossed over version. And so this really challenges people to look at like what did the people who experienced it think and like what's their telling of the story. Yeah. Um, I'm just gonna. Uh, say, I'll put all these links in the notes too, cool. so that way nobody has to worry about writing it down real quick. <laughs> well, <laughs> go ahead. Um, Teachingtolerance.org yeah. is another website that's like good a good go to whether you're a parent or a teacher. That there are great resources that are comprehensive there. Um, Facinghistory.org facing is another good resource. Um, so I think in terms of like learning more and finding like plans, those yeah. are good websites. Um, some children's books. Obviously, I'm not a guru, but these are just things that I have. I love it. Um, I. You can never <laughs> have too many books either. You know, I never taught. Uh, younger than seventh grade but for some reason I have an obsession with children's books so I have a ton of these they're the most <laughs> digestible they're the easiest to digest yeah and, and they're so deep from them yep yeah so I have like this book called shades of black nice that I had in my high school classroom because I think it's important for them to be able to see like different shades of black and and have pride in all of the different ones mm -hmm. um then I really like this book Actually, my, I stole this idea from my nephew because I read this book when I went to visit him in New York. It's called What If? And it's the most beautiful, like magical book. Um, yeah, it's like the illustrations are beautiful and it, I just think it's a great one. I love that. Yeah, this book is a great like mantra book. I am enough. Yep. Um, and then again, like I think there is for people who aren't at the table, the same idea of like, okay, we're both black women 
And there are also things that we, um, we have experienced in terms of being light skinned. Like there's privilege in becoming, in being light skinned. Um, and so I think this book by Lupita Nyong'o is beautiful. Yes. And like, it's something that I wish I'd read as a child. And I can still read now, adults can still read this. Right. Um, which is just like telling the story that's never told. Like we never get to hear stories about, you know, dark skinned women and right. they're growing up and the messaging they receive. Um, so there's some kids books, let's see. For teaching or like older kids, an indigenous pe people's history of the history of the United States. Mm. Um, that's a good one. There's also this um, guide. Yeah. And then, yeah, like some Howard Zinn resources that I use. I would teach, when I taught history, I would use the traditional textbook. And yeah. then I would use like a progressive or like a different perspective, the opposite perspective, and tie them together. So yeah. kids could see like the difference. So these are some like Howard Zinn resources. Um, and then I think that like, so my niece, I sent her this book called Children of, uh, wait, oh, this is the second one. Children of Blood and Bone is the first one, but this is the okay. sequel. And it's like this black magical realism book. And uh, it's amazing. Okay. And I think that's great for anybody to read. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, there's some more, like for adults to read for themselves. I think you can educate yourself before you educate your kids. Uh, Grace Lee Boggs, mm. The Next American Revolution is a really good one that like I just read and took notes all over in terms of like, ooh, like how can I bring this into my community? Yeah. Um, the New Jim Crow mm -hmm. helps to take a look at the prison industrial complex. Um, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie's um, feminist book, what's it called? It's a, it's a manifesto, so it's a short read, but it's like a take on how you can raise a feminist daughter oh, nice. and, or son. Yeah. And Between the World and Me is a solid one. Love that. Just Mercy is a good one. Um, yeah, there's a lot of good books out there, but those are some of my faves. Nice. Perfect. I love it. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. Thank you for sharing your resources and thank you for doing the work that you're doing in order to make this world a better place. We're lucky to have you. Arkansas is lucky to have you. Um, but we definitely do miss you here in the Bay. <laughs> I miss you guys too. Thank you for having me. Of course, of course. All right, I will post all, the, um, all of her recommendations in the notes. And until next time, we will see you later. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Lorena. I just want to say a big thank you again to Lorena for coming on and sharing her wealth of knowledge and being part of the Different is Good podcast. Thank you so much for listening this week. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also send us your thoughts or questions to info at thediversitybox.net. For more resources, find us on social media at The Diversity Box. I'm Sierra Dominguez, and you've been listening to the Different is Good podcast. I'll catch you next time, and always remember, different is good.